Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with the World War II gave us writing for Godot and Oklahoma. Without the arts, we are diminished. We had the kind of creative freedom. I was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's happy hour. She leaned across to me and she said, one day, you know, you'll be doing that. Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. Uh, went to the ABC and audition. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I, and I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. <laughs> and as are you. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello. I'm Peter Ayers and welcome to The Stages Podcast, the podcast that converses with creatives about craft and career. I'm delighted today to welcome to the show the very fine actor Anthony Phelan. You may know Anthony from extensive theatre roles around the country or from extensive television and film credits. Star Wars fans will know him as Lama Sue in Episode 2 of the franchise. And yes, I'll ask him about that today. But it is his outstanding work on screens and stages that we want to explore today. I first saw him as the iconic Rue in Ray Lawler's Summer of the 17th Doll. It was a merger of actor and character that burned this dynamic performance into my theatre memory. Not surprising, perhaps, as Phelan's grandfather was a cane cutter in Queensland. His tough yet sensitive portrayals capture an essence of the Aussie male that is definitive, and utterly engaging. So here is my insightful conversation with Anthony Phelan. Tony Phelan, welcome to Stages. Thank you, Peter Rise. <laughs> is your, your... We've been waiting to do this for a while. For a while, we? haven't we? Um, and you said Tony. You're, See, you're, you know, I know you was Tony, People say friend. this all the time. People say, what do you like? What do you prefer? Do you prefer Anthony or do you prefer Tony? And I always just say, look, well, good old Catholic family, you know. I got Anthony or Anthony, no, Anthony Feeler, no, and um, I got Anthony, and I like that. I like Anthony Joseph. I was called Anthony and Joseph after my 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 um, mother's father. They were English, born in the East End of London, but my father's and my father's parents were born in Ireland, but. I just got Tony all my life, and I never thought of Anthony <clears throat> until my mother came to me once and said, oh, now that you're working, you know, professionally on the stage, um, it'd be nice if you used your name. And I said, I do use my name. She said, no, it'd be nice if you used Anthony. So from that day on, I've used Anthony Phelan uh, professionally, yeah. and most of my mates know me as Tony. My family, close friends, really close friends and and uh, family, and yourself call me Tone. And I only allow a certain type of person to call me Tone. Uh, but um, the, the thing with uh, Anthony, Tony, I'm getting lost now, um, old, you see, and... Uh, uh, a lot of people say, say, what do you prefer, Anthony or Tony? And I say to people, what do you prefer? And people will just naturally say, oh, I like Anthony. Well, I like both. So you can call me Anthony or you can call me Tony. 
So let's start with Tony Phelan. Well, that's nice to hear, Tone. Um, Thanks, Pete. Um, I think I first spotted, I know I first spotted Anthony Phelan when I was at drama school and I had a part-time job as an usher in a theatre. Yeah. And I saw you play the iconic role of Rue in Summer of the 17th <gasps> Doll. That production? Yeah. Oh. Uh, well, Robert, you you the one say that, that with trepidation. No, 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 no. Well, I had a tough time uh, because I came into it late. Uh, like I did a, a lot of productions in, in my career for some unknown reason. Um, uh, Robin Nevin was directing it for the Melbourne Theatre Company and Frankie J. Holden couldn't do the tour, the national tour, because it was being toured 50 years on from when the first national tour happened, right. uh, when Ray Lawler first take, took it around uh, the country. And um, Robin cast me as Rue and Tom Considine as um, Barney. And that production was... I had, you know, we had, like, we had a couple of weeks to get it together, you know, and it's a, it's an extraordinary play. Mm. It really is. It's, it it's perfect. It says a lot about who we are, but not only that, the way it's structured and the way it's layered and the way it builds, it's, it's brilliant. It's really, really good. Mm. You'd done the role <clears throat> about five years previous, I think, at New Moon Theatre in Brisbane. That's correct. Um, it was a bit more than five years. But, yeah, that was, yeah, touring it in around Queensland and North Queensland and because my um, my grandfather was a, a cane cutter. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you knew who that man was. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah I grew up with him. Yeah. Uh, my, my Irish grandfather um, came to Australia and uh, they had no work, no money, but they were only allowed to come because they had... Uh, relations through on my mother's on my grandmother's side who had a cane farm and they they were able to assure him of work and so he was given passage and uh, he was also needed to get out of Ireland but we won't go into that he um, he just played up a bit good on him yes um, <laughs> was he, he a manual, uh, manual labour in Ireland uh, he was a he was a saddler right okay so when you had work. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a saddler, but he also hated the British. But, and he didn't want them to be there, and he didn't believe in the divide of Ireland. He didn't believe... He thought Ireland should be just the one country. Anyway, that's that's the other part of history. He and my grandmother went, OK, well, let's get out of here. So they grabbed my father and my aunt Stella, and they left, and they came to their cousins in North Queensland. Get it? East coast of Ireland to North Queensland. My poor grandmother on six weeks on a boat... Awful. Anyway, they did it. Good on them, and I'm very proud of that, and I'm very proud to be part of that blood. And um, they said to him, oh, well, you know, we've, there's work. We have to go to work next, the next day, and we've got to cut that field of cane. And he said, oh, well, you know, I'll do that now. And he, he'd never seen a stick of sugar cane in his life, let alone a burnt piece of sugar cane. But um, And he got stuck into it and cut it and learned how to cut cane, along with all the Italians, a lot of uh, Sicilians, uh, Calabrese, um, uh, a lot of people from the mid, mid-Italy, Abruzzese. Um, my father spoke Italian because of his business. My father ended up being uh, 
having farm machinery. So a lot of the farmers were Italian and a lot of the farmers were Irish as well. The Irish and the Italians, they got on really well. Papists, you see. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And poor. And that's how I ended up, I suppose, watching all of that carry-on of anecdotal kind of carry-on that went on and all the stories and all the performances and all the music and the laughter and all of that the whole time and I saw how people were entertained and I saw how it gave great joy and that's why I wanted to pursue it and I thought I might be good at it and I wanted to be a teacher first and which is what I did for about five, six years with the, uh, the Queensland Education Department in primary schools. Then I got involved in drama and theatre and education and then I just pursued it from there and started with La Boite in Brisbane. Yeah. Thank God for La Boite. Um, my apprenticeship uh, and then my apprenticeship moved from La Boite to the TN Theatre Company. Yeah. And then of Queensland Theatre Company. I've oh, I've gone on uh, here. Jumping I? way ahead. I'm jump, sorry. I yes. talk too much. Yeah. Your no, turn. No, it's terrific. I talk too much because it, too because it was going to be a leading question. Your Irish heritage. Do you think that's led to a, a desire to tell stories? I hope so. Was because there... because there's. I'm getting emotional now, because of my grandparents my father's parents. Those beautiful, beautiful darling things, those beautiful people with nothing, um, they held us very close, all their grandchildren. Didn't matter where... They had eight children. My, they, had, they came to Australia with two, my father and my aunt. My aunt was the eldest, my father was the next... And then proceeded to have, and my my grandmother Molly, Mary Josephine, no, Mary Josephine Miley, was um, pregnant with the third, Uncle Sean, and they um, proceeded to have five more children. So there was eight. So there's lots of cousins. So all those grandchildren were held very close, and there was he. My grandfather whistled all the time. He whistled all the time. And jigged. He he whistled jigs. They spoke Gaelic at home, uh, Irish at home, uh, and he whistled all the time. He whistled jigs all the time. He was always whistling music. They were always talking about, um, uh, uh, you know, Oscar Wilde. They made, they talked about Oscar. I thought, Who the, who's Oscar Wilde? <laughs> and they talked about George Bernard know, Shaw. And and Shaw. Mm. And they talked about all the greats. And um, I wanted to know more about that world. And um, my, uh, the youngest of their children, Thomas, Uncle Thomas, he was the one who got the university education. And my father and my Uncle Sean had, um, had the businesses and the money and they looked after him and educated him. And because none of the girls were... Yeah. It was a different How about time, that one? different period. Oh, no way. Oh, no, no. you got to go there now and do make sure you get the, you know, the good husband out there now and all that. Carry on now. And, um, but I think maybe a direct result, maybe something clicked in me with their 
their storytelling, their performance, their idea of of entertaining. Yeah. And I loved that. I always liked being around that. And so you but then there was Mum's lot who were who were all from the East End of London. <laughs> I mean, both my mother's parents were born in the East End of London. My mother was born in Australia. But they were born in the East End of London, and then you got that lot, and they were all... And, of course, they were royalists. Oh, wow. And, of course, the Irish lot were... Oh, God, you didn't even mention her name. You couldn't even... You couldn't even say... You couldn't mention a name. I remember one of my sisters talking about the Duke of Edinburgh one day. Oh, my God. No, get outside, no. Don't be talking, don't be talking like that in this house. <laughs> so you weren't allowed to talk about the royals in the house. What sort of kid were you like? A sporty kid? <laughs> I tried, but I was really good at swimming. Right. So that's where I got my sport in. And I'm still a good sw- swimmer. I'm still a good, strong swimmer, thankfully, because that's my, my main exercise. Yeah. Uh, I was always a good, strong swimmer and a good um, distance swimmer. I'm not a, I'm not a, um, I'm not a, um, a sprinter. Uh, breaststroke, I was very good at breaststroke. Um, uh, so swimming is my thing. Uh, freestyle mostly, backstroke, nah. Breaststroke, pretty good. Uh, but butterfly, forget it. Stupid stroke anyway. Um, but um, Extrovert or introvert? Who, me? Yeah. What do you reckon? I, <laughs> no, uh, as, a, as a kid. As a kid, yeah. totally extroverted You're right, until you. people started knocking me down, until people started bullying me, mm-hmm. until people started telling me to shut up. Why? Until people... Seen and not heard. Right. You know? It's like, no, you're just being a little bit over the... Co- and, you know, probably a little bit... You, you can imagine. Probably a little bit carry on. Thought I knew everything. Yeah. Uh, there's a, and a great photograph that one of my sisters found recently and showed me of the next-door neighbour and her two children and mum with me. Mum would have only been in her 20s or something. I was, you know, like five, six. With a beautiful, beautiful neighbour who I grew up as basically like my second mother and have known all my life and she only died recently and she was 96. And her cutting a watermelon and me crying. And I said... To my sister and the, my the eldest sister said, "Oh God, that's that's that that story's famous. You know, you didn't want her to spoil the watermelon, so you just screamed and screamed the place down because they were spoiling the watermelon. It's like, oh okay, oh aesthetics. Oh, all right. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Mm, started early, um, but I reckon I think I was a bit precocious." I think, and that's why I think my father and I clashed a lot, uh, because I was very always very open about who I was, and the freedom, and there was a lot of love. There was a hell of a lot of love in the family, so we we always felt free. But it wasn't until the outsiders started telling you that there was something wrong. Um, he's a bit different. Like the friend who told me recently, his father warned him about me when we were kids and I never knew that until recently that was only just recently he said you know my father said to me once you better be careful of Tony Phelan he's a bit he's a bit funny that kid oh I said really bit funny how how were they reading us yeah exactly what did that mean yeah 
Were you, were you gentle? Uh, probably. Gentle. Right. Always had lots of animals. Right. I had a menagerie in the backyard. I always had two dogs. Never, never three. Two dogs, one or two dogs. Never had a cat because my father didn't like cats. Always lots of birds, lots of fish, pigeons, um, parrots, uh, then rabbits. I had rabbits at one stage and then they were banned and they were taken away. I had guinea pigs. I had... <clears throat> Whenever we went duck shooting or anything like that or pig hunting because of all the feral pigs, that's why I've got a big scar on, the, on my left leg. I got in the way of a feral pig. But... Um, bushies you see yeah. uh, but shooting ducks I hated shooting ducks yeah. so I put the gun down and I was always with the dogs I always just sat with the dogs and waited for my father to go over there or over there or over there and the dogs and I would go and get the ducks cold, cold water cold and I still hate cold water to this very day yeah. I despise, hate cold water um, I suppose that's partly growing up in the tropics, but um, no, I hated hated having seeing any animal hurt or any child hurt, and still do. At school, were you friends with the girls, or did you have more mates? I mean, I think I did a, a good a good balance actually, right. a really good balance. Had really really good. Male mates and really, really good female mates, right. boys and girls. I just didn't hang with the girls all the time, and I just didn't hang with the boys all the time. Right. So I had a really, really good balance all through my schooling, except, of course, in those days through the 60s and 70s, there, I didn't go to a co ed school. I was always oh, right. private Catholic schools. Right. You know, I was sent away to boarding school for the last two years of my school and sent to Brisbane and I thought that was the worst thing they could have ever done to have done to me but as it turned out it was the best thing they could have ever done to me because I met some great friends who I still have 50 years later and uh, I I learned about um, so much more about the arts arts about music about opera about theatre and so, particularly Shakespeare. So, who's igniting that? What's what's igniting that? Are you do you have school drama at yes, school? Yes, school there was a fellow at school at, at Brothers Brothers at Ashgrove in Brisbane by the name of Bernard Otley, and he was determined to give us some balance. And the guys that didn't want to be in the first fifteen, or in the first eleven, or in fact couldn't be, shall I qualify that? <laughs> Uh, he gave us an alternative, and we did. We had drama on weekends and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I uh, we, we did Macbeth, we did Hamlet, we did and just just to be part of it, just to read it, you know, just to know it, just to understand it, just to feel it. And it was part of the curriculum, so it should have been, mm -hmm. and so it, sh it should still be, and. Um, uh, because they're just damn good plays. Yeah. What's the first school play that you remember being part of? What role did you play? Was it a Shakespeare? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> You're embarrassed to say, are you? No. No. Not really. Um, Eliza Doolittle in Big no. Man, were you? No. <laughs> no, I was Nancy in Oliver. <laughs> 
Um papa, um papa, that's how it goes. Um papa, um papa, everyone knows. You know, there's, a, there's a new musical. They want to suppose when they sing um papa. <laughs> there's a new there's musical. A yeah, I know, we've got it, Nance. We've got it. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, uh, there's a new musical by Styles and Drew. They've just written a, a musical called Being Nancy, which is based on a kid's book, which is about um, the school production of, of Nancy. This young man has a, a beautiful voice, so the drama teacher encourages him to, to play the role of Nancy, and he falls in love with the, the kid playing um, Bill Sykes. Oh, isn't that, great? One, isn't that yeah. great? Yeah, so well, you're, was, a, you're a trailblazer. That's right, that was year seven. Yeah. And I was wearing my sister's shoes, and I can remember the pain of that because they were too big, not small. Uh, and I sang Um Papa, and, I, and they wouldn't, the brothers wouldn't let me sing um, If Only He Needs Me, I Won't Betray His Trust. I know that's the wrong words, that's the yeah, wrong. Yeah. If only he needs me. I wasn't allowed to sing as, that. As long as he needs to, me. Yeah. To, um, to Bill, the guy playing Bill Sykes. Right. So the brothers were putting me into frocks early, and then um, it's all their fault. And then I did. Uh, then we did a production of uh, Gilbert and Sullivan's The Gondoliers, right. and I was one of the gondoliers, one of the Palmieri brothers. Just to show your range. You just show my range. Giorgio. <laughs> Uh, whatever his name was. Um, uh, listen, learn, listen, learn, you pretty maiden star. Yes, uh, the gondoliers. Then the next year was, I've got to think about this, see? It's, you know, that... So was there... Hello, Dolly. Hello, Dolly. At school, you did Hello, Dolly. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You didn't play Dolly, did no, right? look out. You did Did out. you really? Look out, yep. <laughs> yep, you're <laughs> looking at air... air. Morris Brothers, hello, Dolly you were their Levi. leading lady. I was their leading lady. <laughs> I stopped laughing, Peter. I, I, it's true. It's I all true. And they, Big and, Anthony Feelin, and play yes, Bruiser Kane Cutter. Was you started down off. those stairs, going, "Well, well, hello, fellas," with a big strawberry blonde wig and this, <laughs> this. Ostrich, pink ostrich feather sticking up out of my hair, out of this wig, walking down these stairs and tripped. Yeah, fair. and fell and uh, and no, see, no. For, unfortunately, maybe the school's got them. Right, right. I should I should go in next time I'm home. I should go to the school and say, listen, have you got an archive? <laughs> and tripped and and there's a there's a segue to this too. There's another story that reminded me of the same thing. And the, of course, the the wig went crooked. And I got myself together in the, the the pink taffeta that I was wearing that was making me slip all over the stage, including slipping out of the costume. And uh, I looked up and I looked straight to where the bishop was sitting. Mons- not bishop or monsignor. No, bishop... Oh, oh, it'll be one of those Catholics now. Uh, one of those Irishmen now. I think it was... Uh, mon- uh, um, uh, Bishop Rush, I think. Anyway, I looked up and there was him, he, sitting there with his eyes closed, fast asleep. <laughs> Didn't even see it. Couldn't have cared less. Didn't know, did, was bored shitless. Anyway, uh, 
Your mother and father loved it. Don't know, I never asked them. Right. I think so. They all, you know, know, I think about that now. It was, they were very special to put up with all of that. Anyway. um, What did they think of uh, uh, your desire to have a career on the stage, to become an actor? Not good. Didn't know. They wanted me to do something else first. And that's why I went to university in Townsville and studied education and and was a teacher for a while and went, no, no, and, and was involved in theatre and education and doing all of that, involved in drama in the school, using it as as a teaching aid. Basically, in those days, the late 70s, early 80s, it was becoming the big thing to do in schools. Uh, the English were doing it, the Americans were doing it, using drama in the classroom, yep. in the open classroom. The open classroom had hit, that had started, that had started in the mid uh, 70s when I was doing my my uh, education studies the whole open plan classroom was the new way the new thing and uh, but drama and music and dance was still extracurricular mm. you had to go out to do those but now they're included in the curriculum and I was part of that revolution of getting those dance uh, uh, um, dra- dance drama and music into the school as a subject so you didn't have to go out to teachers so the teachers that didn't that didn't take away those those teaching jobs mm. those teachers the singing teacher the music teacher the piano teacher the the violin teacher the the drama the elocution teacher the dance teacher the ballet teacher the tap teacher came into the school but there were still your little schools you could go to out of school, but it became a subject then in 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 the secondary school yeah. curriculum. And you know what's glorious? There are still there are adults out there who remember vividly those performances, the, the change, the the no, school you, performances. Yeah, the theatre and education groups going and oh, performing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, you know, you're not aware of it at the time, <coughs> but no. the impact <coughs> that it has for for decades later. Huge. Young audiences never forget. Well, it, well, it has a huge impact on me as well as far as, as far as teaching me how to consider and regard an audience, mm. even though they were children. They were the best. Mm. If you if you weren't on your game, yeah. they told you really, really quickly yeah. because they became uncontrollable. But if you were on your game and if you were telling the story and if you were clear, because often the little scripts that we wrote to do theatre and education was to, to, to include the curriculum, something in maths, something in the language arts, something in their social studies, it was called in those days, social studies, please, or geography. I don't know if geography exists anymore. It should. It's a fantastic thing. They tried to take it out of secondary schools about 10 years ago. But um, uh, the, they were great audiences mm. and those kids were fantastic and they taught me so much. And that's when I, someone, a friend said to me, you should... I started working at La Boite while I was teaching during the day and I'd work at La Boite at night and when I was, when I was transferred to Brisbane because I taught in North Queensland for two years... When I got transferred to Brisbane, I started working at La Boite at night, and then a friend said to me, "You should, you should audition. I think you're good enough to audition for the TN Theatre Company, which is a professional theatre company." And I said, "Oh, it means I'll have to leave teaching." And they said, "Yes." And I ordered, I, I 
uh, auditioned for TN and I got the job. Now I got a job on, as part of their ensemble and their SSA's history. So I assume there was never a, a, years ago. Never a time <coughs> when you considered auditioning for NIDA or a training institution? No one ever came to me and told me about NIDA, you know. Right. No one ever... I don't know why that was. I was so ignorant of NIDA. Nobody... I should have. Mm. But, you know, since then a lot of people from NIDA have said to me, no, you did the right thing. Who knows? I didn't know otherwise. Uh, I didn't know to... I didn't know about NIDA. I, I did know about NIDA, but nobody came to me and said, you should go and audition for NIDA. If they had have said that, and I spoke to... I would have had to have included my parents in that. But um, anyway, I didn't. I spent two years um, teaching in the bush, which I loved. Hmm. So Charter Towers being one of them. But your f- formal training... Starts with Lebois, doesn't it? You're serving yes, an apprenticeship beyond the yeah, job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What are you, what are you learning in those early years? What am I? What are you learning in those early years? I'm learning um, basics like diction, like breathing. But the beautiful thing about Lebois, the old Lebois, oh, the old Lebois. Oh, Established God. in 1925, wasn't it? Yes, what an extra, but it was an old house then. Right. But in the 90, in the late 60s, they built a, a new purpose-built theatre, which was the Theatre in the Round, La Boite, the box. Uh, and it was and with, with wings all around underneath the stage, around the seating, the back of the seating. It was the most fantastic place to learn how to act on this space was extraordinary. You had people all around you. And you had to contact everybody in that audience. I think its capacity was maybe three, four hundred. And it was just the most brilliant space. And it got crowded out by Lang Park. Why wouldn't it be? Of course it was Lang Park. It got crowded out by football. It got crowded out by the NRL. And they couldn't... No one could go there anymore. No one could park there anymore. No one could use the theatre as it was supposed to be used. So they moved it to uh, QUT, to the Kelvin Grove campus. Never been the same since. But that was a wonderful... I was so blessed to be able to start my apprenticeship there because it taught me how to contact an audience. It taught me how to look an audience in the eye. It taught me how to consider an audience. It taught me how to keep the audience close. And most importantly, listen to the audience. Your first professional gig, am I right in uh, my research in that it was 1979, Shia Luck Holmes? Oh, yes. Very good. Yeah. That's right. It was the first thing I did at La Boite. That was 1979. That was... They, they, they were purposefully written for high schools. Right. Um, Simon Denver, I think his name was, was writing these musicals for high schools, but he was trialling them he was trying to sell them to the education department to include in their curriculum for the end of school show, for the end of school performance. Yep, yep. Because drama was becoming part of the curriculum then and everybody had to do an end of years. And Sheila Combs was the first one he wrote and the first one he did at Le Boite to have it 
trialled, and yes, I was, I've forgotten who I played in that now, some old, old codger, some, someone, I always played the old people, I always played the older because I was much bigger than everybody else, and I could do old people well, and I could do villains well. Full stop. Full stop. <laughs> no, I hear you. Me too. But you're cutting your teeth on some terrific Australian fare as well, like The Legend of King O'Malley and the yes. Venetian Twins. Yes, yes. Uh, Lebois' production of Legend of King O'Malley. I played O'Malley. Fantastic. Another great play. And the opening uh, speech, I don't know if you know the play, it's a huge, wonderful opening speech about the uh, basically the, from memory, the... Um, the freedom of Australia, the 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 freedom of democracy, and uh, the then artistic director and director of it, Malcolm Blaylock, uh, wonderful Malcolm Blaylock, um, taught me so much, uh, had me swinging from a, a, a balloon basket hung from the ceiling from the lighting gig and someone was pulling ropes in the bottom and I was swinging around the auditorium giving this speech. Oh, please. How do you give it? Anyway, we did it. Uh, King O'Malley, yeah, that was, that's, that was a good... That was a great production and really, really... So that kind of got me on my way. I was delighted to see that because, you know, after its big success at Jane Street in Sydney, yes. that production, yes. that other state companies were, yes. were picking up that fare and... Um, yes. And doing and, it. Including um, the Venetian twins. Yeah. Pancrazio. Yes, Pancrazio. God, what a great role. The villain. I am fiendish. I am, I am fell. I am a dark, dark and brackish well. I have walked the streets of hell. Is the villain. If nothing else, this conversation is an audition tape. Oh, there you go. Musical I don't producers need to around town. Or if they can't pick me now, it's too late. I'll go on and do something else. That's fair. I talk to a lot of um, our senior actors who senior. I suppose I am senior. Well, I didn't. I didn't know what to say then. Senior or veteran? Or no, not veteran. None of those. I'm just an actor. Yeah, but I'm a 66 year old actor. The actors who've been in the business for a long time. Thank you. Um, really have that abhorrence about auditions now. You know, you, you've made well, your mark. You, no. You've shown again and again what you're capable of. That's true. You know, that's a tough one. I haven't thought about that. You know, um, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Particularly from people who should know what you can do and what you're capable of, they shouldn't be asking you to audition. Mm. They said, "Listen." We're interested in you for, have a read, see what you think. Can you come and read something for us? Or do, you know, they're just, just to help them think about it. They're, trying not, they're not saying we need you to prove to us that you can do it. We know you can do it, but we, might, we, we may not want your version of it. So maybe, we, maybe just, just help us a bit. We will talk about it. There are some things that you do need to audition for. There are some things like a lot of the American stuff. They have no idea who you are. They have no idea what you sound like or what you're going to be or what you're going to do. But I think you can draw the line at certain things like... Well, if you've worked with the director before many like, times. Like, well, yes, exactly, that point. And like a casting director. I have a problem with casting directors, but let's not go into that. Um, uh, uh, n- not a problem uh, a problem with some let's put it that way um, 
the casting directors, they know what you can do. That's why they've asked your your uh, agent, will you, can you give, let him give us some version? Because they have to present you to someone who has absolutely no idea who you are. They've never seen you before in their life. So in in their lives, they've never seen you before, so they need to be jogged and go, oh, yeah, maybe he'll do. Or, but But as far as theatre... And a lot of the film in this country, a lot of the television in this country, I, I, you know, you get to a certain stage where I think they should just kind of offer. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Oh, you know, Anthony Phelan could play that role. I reckon he could do that role. Okay, offer it to him, see if he's available. They're the ones I like. Get me Anthony Phelan. That's the one. Yeah. Um, the TN Theatre Company no longer yeah. exists. No, it doesn't, unfortunately. What did the TN stand for? Uh, it started out at the 12th Night Theatre Company, right. uh, which is in Bowen Hills, and then they moved, uh, I suppose, politically, uh, their whole governance changed, and they they became the 12th Night Theatre, and they thought, we can't be associated with the 12th Night Theatre, the building in Bowen Hills, so let's just call ourselves the TN theatre company um, which was a professional theatre company and they were like the uh, Belvoir of Brisbane for for a long time and they did a lot a lot of fantastic shows and I did a huge amount of uh, many productions for them uh, through the 80s Boys and Macbeth, <laughs> Hamlet on Ice, The Removalist, you know, uh, yeah, contemporary yeah. Australian fare, as yeah. well as, you know, starting in the classical theatre yeah, with, yeah. with Noel Coward and yeah. Design for Living and Private Lives and Tartuffe. Yeah, and Tartuffe, yes. Um, uh, uh, Moliere, oh, Moliere, oh my God, wow. Um, yeah, all there. See, all of that was so important for my learning for my apprenticeship, all of that was very, very important. Dealing it was with so vital. Brisbane was such an important place. Dealing with language and style. Yes, and, yeah. yeah. Mm. Language, style, um, stage style, cléant in, in, in um, uh, Molière's um, Tatouf. Um, uh, very wealthy snob of a gentleman and he had uh, you know a beautiful I forgot what those wigs are called bouffant it was like a bouffant but it was it was um, parted in the middle and had that huge yeah they had a particular name for that wig he wore all of that stuff big puffed a Barbara Windsor yeah (laughs) a Barbara Windsor that's the one you know the you know the white face the the dot the the beautiful stick the whole thing it was heels it was heels red heels it'd take you back to hello Dolly, um, wouldn't it oh yeah it took me all the way back it's tripping down those stairs and that's when I did um, the conquest of Carmen Miranda for um, the uh, TN Theatre Company um, at uh, the old Brook Street Church and. There's a part of uh, that where the, the Andrew sisters come out, and of course we all had to double up, and of course I was one of the Andrew sisters, wasn't I? Along with two other wonderfully talented, beautiful women, Vasikotsiopoulos and Justine Saunders. Justine, 
Not Saunders. Oh, I do beg your pardon, Justine. Um, uh, anyway, well, Justine well, and Vassie, and they were either side of me, half my height, and here this huge Andrew's sister right in the middle, and we were we drinking rum and Coca-Cola, going down to a point, Kumana, down, to, down the stairs, and I tripped again. Oh. In the heels, oh, and down I went and collapsed in a big heap with the wig everywhere in the town. And I had two friends in that night, and they were sitting around about where the bishop actually sat in the middle there. And I went, I was so crestfallen and thought, I'm so embarrassed. I've fallen over, I've tripped on because I can't wear high heels. I can't wear them. And I tripped again and I got up off the ground and I looked up and the first people I looked for were these two friends of mine. I couldn't see them because they were on the floor. They were hiding. They were laughing so much. (laughs) They were hiding. And they said, we've never seen anything so funny in all our lives when that big big Sheila in the middle (laughs) hit the deck. Were there many professionals? See, I never never understood. I, I was six foot when I was, you know... 13, 14, 15. And I never understood. And I was big. I was always overweight. I was always fat. I was the fat kid. I was the bullied fat kid. But I loved to swim. You know, people made fun of me because I was the fat swimmer, but I was fast. They didn't realise that. But, um, well, they soon did find that out. But I was the fat kid. I was the fatty. I was the, the bullied fat kid. Were there many professional actors around in Brisbane at that time? That were making a oh, living yes. from acting, yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So, so Queensland Theatre Company. David Clendenning, yeah. uh, a great inspiration to me and many others, uh, <clears throat> who was working a lot for the Queensland Theatre Company. And then I progressed from the TN Theatre Company to the Queensland Theatre Company when Aubrey Mellor hit town. How do you get that gig? Do you have to audition, go to an open call or no, audition? No, no. He, you were invited? He, he, invi- he, he cast me in... I forgot what the first thing was. I'd done something with the outgoing artistic director, Alan Edwards. Uh, we'd, he'd done a, a stage adaptation of uh, Dickens' Hard Times. And um, uh, then uh, Aubrey came and took over the company and then I, I forgot what the first thing I did for the company was. Maybe it was um, uh, Taming of the Shrew or something like that. And there's Essington Lewis I am work was when um Aubrey was there, played Essington. But uh Mary Wives of Windsor. Mary Wives of Windsor, Geoffrey Rush directed that. And Life of Galileo. The Life of Galileo, yeah. Yeah, yeah wow. That um um oh that was oh god, yeah, I remember that now. It was on a raked stage and we were all dressed in period costume and I that's when I did a lot of injury to my back. But anyway. Rakes are terrible, terrible, mm. terrible things. Mm. Terrible for actors, rakes, rake stage. And for the voice as well. I mean, they do all sorts of things to the, to the voice. Oh, does it? Yeah, yeah, because of the, the, the change in your physicality. Oh, I suppose so, yeah, mm. of course. Mm. Yeah, 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 I didn't think of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Barrett's of Wimpole Street. Oh, yes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Which became the musical Robert and Elizabeth. Oh, right, that's yeah. right. Oh, God, who directed that with some... What's his name? Oh, John, John Crummel directed that. Oh, my God. Wow. That was hilarious. So you're certainly covering some, tell tales. some great repertoire in uh, a short period of time. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is the perfect perfect apprenticeship. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and a lot of it was done in the old SGIO theatre in Brisbane, which was the most fantastic, wonderful, extraordinarily wonderful building and acoustically wonderful. And uh, that's gone now, knocked it. That's gone. It was only built in the late 60s. Um, uh, into the 70s. Uh, so then I got out of town, um, yeah, early 90s. So why the move to Sydney? Was that to try a bigger well, pond? Yeah. 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 I, um, yes, basically. I kind of thought to myself, if I, if I could... Um, I had to get an agent. We know all about that. Um, I I thought if I if I could survive in Sydney for a couple of years, if I could get some work, um, I reckon I might continue with this. I'll give it a go, or I'll come back. Or if worse comes to the worst, I can you know keep my teacher registration and. And it took a couple of years. Did take a couple of years. Oh no, hang on. I got in. I got here in ninety three. It was ninety five when I landed. Um, uh, a couple of little things, but the big one was um, summer of the seventeenth doll in ninety five for the for the Melbourne Theatre Company. But um, but you've been at STC too with Anthony and Cleopatra. And yes, you, you gave your Anthony. Yes, Coriolanus. Yes, and that, that, that was that experiment, wasn't it? With um, uh, that was uh, all male casts doing the, the Shakespeare. Was it that? No, 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 no. different production. It was um, uh, that experiment called the Australian People's Theatre, right? Which John Howard, the actor John Howard, had organised and got together, and and brilliantly so. It was just the most fantastic idea. And because he wanted to use that whole idea of multicultural Sydney, Australia, um, uh, and the company was made up of people from, oh God, all, all, all um, Hungarian, uh, Iranian, um, a guy from New Guinea, uh, um, a girl who was Wiradjuri, I think, um, a, a proud Wiradjuri woman, um, and, and of course the and the token. Um, I don't mean that in any um, um, deceitful way, but uh, the token. Well, I was a, the token Irishman, I guess. The token, token Australian. The token kind of. But uh, that was a great experiment. It um, it didn't work for a number of reasons, but uh, it it was that was its production, the, the production of Antony and Cleopatra, and a couple of other things that we wrote ourselves. But um, that that saw me doing quite a bit with um, STC. And of course, with all this repertoire, you're working with some extraordinary directors like Richard Wereton, Barry Kosky, Rodney Fisher, Marion Potts, Robin Nevinani, Nimi, Aubrey Mellor. How yeah. does how does a director assist you, the actor, to present and discover your your best work? Oh, they really s- 
smack you over the knuckles and push you and give you a good jolt and tell you to get out of your own ego. That's what they do. They're the good ones, the good ones that smack you across the face and say, like Barry Koskin, say, I can't work with you when you're like this. Get your act together. I can't hear you. I don't understand you. Speak up. Um, what's wrong? You know, the people who call you out for for the person who wants to just lean back a bit and take it a bit easy, they're great people, um, but, but, but what they all recognised, I guess, and I hope, is that they all recognised that I, my heart was in the right place, as they say. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's hence designated or, or, or hence gave me a lot of the roles that, that, that continued me on through that, that time was the good heartfelt, the people with the big heart, occasionally the villain, yeah. <laughs> like a villain. <laughs> what about working with playwrights? Because you've worked on new plays also mm-hmm. from the ground up. You know, a lot of new plays. Strangers in Between, Tommy, yep. Tommy Murphy's play, and yep. um, Once in Royal David City. Was that a, yep. a premiere production there? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And The Wild Duck, working with Simon well, Stone on, on that. Well, well that, that wasn't a um, a new play. Uh, no, well, it was Ibsen, well, of course, it, it but was it was Ibsen, Simon's... but it was his Simon's take on it, yes. 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 So I guess, yes. Yeah. Yes, of course. And, of course, the rest, they say, is history. That did very well at Beauvoir and uh, then around the world. It was invited to the um, Ibsen Festival in, in Oslo and we were really trepidatious and the company was very um, confident but the company of actors were a little trepidatious about doing this for the Norwegians who covet and protect their Ibsen and particularly through their Ibsen festival. We got on the stage and we just... And it was... There were um, surtitles and it was the glass box, as you remember. It was the most glorious production. And they... And we just were all very, very nervous... And we went for it. And we just... There was... I don't know if you remember the ending where the lights just fall quietly. Yep. After the girl has passed and died and the, the, the parents finally come back together and they, come, they can now bear to be in the same room as the one person they're talking about. It was my fault. No, it was your fault. No, it's okay. Let's just forget it. Look, I don't know what I'm going to do without her it still touches me that scene and it finishes and it quietly quietly finishes and the the lights drop it goes into blackness and there was nothing there was silence and we all gripped each other because we're waiting in the wings to come on for the curtain call silence 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 it was brilliant because they let it sit they were there they knew it they knew what it wanted to say bravo simon it just, they knew he said what he wanted to say and they let it happen and in that silence which seemed like a long time there was not a you could hear a pin drop as they say then they had to, and great stage management doing great timing with lights 
lift it, lift it, lift it, lift it, and then just lifted it really, really gradually, and they went berserk. At the sixth curtain call, we were going, oh, these Norwegians are a little bit over the top, really. <laughs> this is a bit, bit too much. Then they started what they do in Europe, and I didn't know this. They uh, bang their feet. They do this kind of thump, 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 thump. And they started banging their feet. And then someone in the audience <laughs> said, Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. <laughs> they're like, oh, God, here we go. That was one of the greatest experiences. The other great experience I had on an opening night was um, Uncle Vanya in New York in in the uh, city centre uh, in uh, West 56th, I think it is. And we came out <clears throat> uh, on, on stage and I just shout out, shouted it out, Louise. I just threw it right up into the into the gods. That those lights came down. They did the same thing. They went berserk. They loved it. They loved it. They screamed and shouted and banged and clapped and carried on. It was it was pretty good. And a great production as well. And <laughs> yeah. illustri- illustrious company with Miss Blanchett and Mr. Weaver. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All those Miss Weaver, stars. Miss yeah. Gore, and yeah. and I just had you know I was just there in the background playing the. You know, the little bits. But this career has garnered you some some wonderful experiences, like sure those has. international tours and uh, and exposure. Sure has, you know, and a lot of and even you know, doing um, uh, private lives in in Texas in Queensland on a, an Arts Council tour, and getting to the hall and just kind of thought oh we'll just walk around and have a look on the stage and it was the you know the town hall and walk around on the stage see what the acoustics like and they'd set the the chairs up the, the the chairs up for the evening and it was a huge gap between the stage and where the chairs started and I said oh what are they going to bring in the canvas chairs or something I said to the guy who runs the the hall I remember and he said oh no 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 they've got to, they leave that space so they can put all the kids down there. And I went, I beg your pardon? <laughs> they put what? He said, oh, they'll, they'll throw a whole lot of blankets and things down and put all the children out down the front. That's where the kids go. They give them their toys and all the and the kids, all the kids sit there. So here we are again. Oh, Amanda, do come out. It's so <laughs> wonderful. And I was playing the you know, dyed-in-the-wool Englishman, Victor, and going on with all this with my plus fours and talking like this the whole time. And down the front is all these kids kind of going and garring and looking at us just going, what's that all about? See, but the squatocracy is driving in from <laughs> hours and hours and hours to see it. But those kids have never forgotten it. They've never forgotten my Victor. <laughs> They've never forgotten those plus fours. They will remember it for the rest of their lives. Let me ask you about a role which uh, brought you some a lot of fame, um, Lama Sue. Lama Sue. Lama Sue in the Star the Wars Prime franchise. The of Camino. Episode 2. Yeah. Yeah. Attack of the Clones. Yes. You, you appeared as an avatar in that film. Yeah, I was, did. Yes, it was your it was my extraordinary, voice. Extraordinary, tremendous, beautiful voice, which was used. And um, Obi-Wan Kenobi. 
So, I can't remember the lines. I think he said, it's nice to see you again. You know, I still sign stuff. There's there's huge Star Wars fan conventions all over the world. Mm. And they still still send me this stuff to sign. I just sent a whole, a huge amount of stuff back to Germany recently. Um, Or I had to sign all these, these, um, I didn't have to, but I chose to sign all these uh, photographs of Lama Su, the Prime Minister of Kamino, who built the clone army in Attack of the Clones. There he goes, very famous, Lama Su. Absolutely very famous. So how do you score a gig like that? Because you're a voice actor as well. Ewan McGregor was... May I just tell you a little side story to that? And this is how I got the job. Yeah. I was doing Barry Kosky's production of Oedipus at STC. And one night, Robin Gurlin was in... And she was the casting director of Attack of the Clones, which was being made in Sydney at Fox. Fox. And she came out of the, uh, the performance and said to whoever she was there with from STC, that voice, we've got to have that voice, we've got to have that, I've got to tell um, uh, George. Lucas. Yeah the George Lucas about this voice we want that voice that I reckon he should do the voice of Lama Sue anyway um, as it turned out yes they asked me and they offered it to me and I did it and blah 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 but I spent the day on the set with Ewan McGregor because he was playing Obi-Wan Kenobi of course a young Obi-Wan Kenobi and we did a lot of it on blue on blue screen and so you're acting, acting against yes him. yes yeah, yeah. but I had the 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 Lama Sue come in head. Head head on my head so he had a an eye line so he looked above me the whole time and halfway through the day he said this is ridiculous I haven't looked you in the eye or I haven't looked you in the eye I can't do a Scottish accent so I'll stop there and he we just clicked and told and he said no and we got talking he said what are you doing at the moment and I said well I'm doing this this kind of adaptation or a production of a uh, Seneca's Oedipus oh wow really where and I said at, at, at the Sydney Theatre Company he said would you mind if I came and had a look and I said no not at all I'll organise you a ticket and I did and I don't know if you remember the old stage door at STC yep. which came out onto the corridor Yep. and I went oh, I went, oh that's right I had a note on my desk uh, Ewan's in you know I didn't really tell anyone I didn't want to go oh you and McGregor's in yeah far out man oh it's hip cool am I yeah so I came out of that door and he was there waiting at the stage Tony 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 and I went Ewan how did you go he said oh, oh that was the most fantastic thing I've seen and oh my god thank god you saved my life because he was so bored with doing yeah doing these blue screen sets all day, these set stuff all day, this sets, all these set pattern stuff he had to do for this, that particular part of the time. He, I don't think he was having a happy time in Sydney. And I shouldn't be telling tales out of school. I don't think he was having a happy time with George. Anyway, 
He said, Tony, oh God, it was so fantastic, I can't believe it, oh my God, this, and this and that, and he just loved it. And he said, would you like a scotch? And I said, I'd love one. So we sat at the cafe area there at STC at the end of the wharf, drinking scotch. How do you reckon my cred went? Hit right up. (laughs) (laughs) Sitting there getting pissed with Ewan McGregor. It was fantastic. Yeah. The great, see the great, the great gifts that this profession gives you. They're many, they're many and many and many, and they're many and they're wonderful. It knocks you down too. Yeah. It knocks you right down. You get very low, which I have done. Well, let me ask and, you about a, a malady which which affects a lot of actors. Yes, stage fright, and I know that you had a yeah. bout of that. Yeah, 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 I did. What what brought that about? Do you think? Is it, is, it, is it the I constant repetition it, of? I don't know. Maybe why does it bring about? Why does it bring it about to anyone? I can only speak for myself. Everyone has a different story, but I think we all have something in common, uh, which is. Mine was why would anybody in, be interested in anything I'd have to say? Why would anybody be interested in my? I got this in my head. Why? Um, I was ner- I was always nervous. I was always on edge. I was always feeling like I wasn't good enough. But so, so uh, it not- came. It manifested in, in a way, and it used to affect me physically. And it manifested in. Uh, I've got a pretty strange voice anyway, uh, and it would manifest by restricting my throat. And I was smoking at the time too. Uh, thank God, oh God, hallelujah, I gave up smoking eight years ago. Oh, the best thing I ever did in my life. And it would really, really affecting my voice. And I was just frightened a lot. And I act as nightmares happening all the time. I was never comfortable. I never felt comfortable enough to be confident enough to have anyone be to think that anyone would be interested in what I had to do, so what I did was stepped away, and it was the best thing I could have done. I stepped away and got another job. I went out and worked for the public service for two years, nearly two years, and it was it was Tommy Murphy's um, uh, uh, um, tour, national tour of Strangers in Between, that got me back up on stage. Were you drying in, in mid-production? Yep. I was getting a dry mouth. Effect. I was getting a dry mouth, which is not good. Yeah. Uh, and I would sometimes dry. It never left. It didn't leave. It didn't leave. Um, it, it, it hung around for a few years. Uh, but the two years break from the stage was pretty good. Were that you able that to, helped a lot. able to talk to other actors who'd been through yes. it? Yes. Yep. yep. I was able to talk to professionals as well, uh, including um, psychiatrists and and um, psychologists, and uh, we tried to get to the bottom of it. There's a lot of uh, bit of childhood trauma there as well, um, uh, which we don't need, we don't need to go into. But um, so that was manifesting as well, and uh, so there was a lot of stuff happening. I don't know why does it come to the fore. Why does it? Why does it all of a sudden it appear? Uh, you work and work and work and work and work as hard and hard and hard and hard for years, um, for twenty cents, and uh, all of a sudden it, it attacks you. And I don't know why. And 
there's a lot of professional jealousy out there that also attacks you. And because I'm a very sensitive person, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Um, uh, I let that get to me as well, uh, which it shouldn't. It doesn't now, but um, it used to. And uh, um, uh, then I started to get a lot of uh, film work and television work, which, which eased it a bit. And then I went back up on the stage... Uh, started getting back up on the stage and um, back in, uh, in uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 and then it kind of got got a bit better. Acting is an occupation that requires a tremendous amount of psychological resilience, doesn't yeah. it? It's a, it's a game. It's an occupation. There's, there's, there's a lot, a lot of, of occupational hazards. A so lot of rejection. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah, I could. I handled all of that. You know, right. I was okay at saying no. Next, right. uh, leave your agent's number. I got all of that. Right. I understood all that. But it was something about the audience and other actors. I just didn't think I was good enough for them, for the audience. Right. And it got into my brain, and it really started to to eat away. But um, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 it was a dark time. So there's the good times and the bad times. It was a very very dark time. Well, a good time is about to happen once again. You're in, you're about to go into rehearsal for Boy oh. Swallows Universe. Well, see, I haven't been on the stage since 2017, so a bit trepidatious. So I'm actually looking at the script now. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that. I think maybe once, twice in my career, where I've studied the script before. We've gone into rehearsal. Normally I'd, ah, oh, no, I can do it. It'll, it'll be fine. I'll just let the instinct kick in, you know, and I'll work at it every night and learn it. I don't feel that confident anymore. I really... I'm, uh, I'm confident in the... I'm confident with discovering the character and the portrayal, but I don't think I'm going to be confident with remembering what the person I create has to say. Right. In other words, the script. <laughs> so I have to I have to be familiar with it, I think, because I haven't been on the stage for, as I said, since 2017. And this is the stage adaptation of Trent Dalton's very successful uh, novel. Yes. And you're playing two roles, a yes. hero and a villain. Yes. The whole... Um, Tim McGarry has done the most wonderful treatment of this this ad- adaptation of Trent Dalton's book for the stage. And what was very, very evident in, in Trent's writing, and he also brings it into the writing quite a lot when he talks about this whole metaphor of life, which is good and bad. There is good and there's bad. We just have to know how to be good most of the time and bad least of the time. And and it's a choice, good, bad. That's it, simple as that. You can be good, you can be bad. So in reading one of the drafts, which we all sat around and read, I thought, why don't I play that metaphor? Why yeah. don't I play Slim, the, the mentor of the lead, Eli Bell, loosely based on the Houdini of Bogger Road, the bloke that the only person to ever escape from Bogger Road, or maybe the only, I think it might have been two, Slim Halliday, and who happens to be Eli and August Bell's babysitter, 
You have to go and see the play to find out why. And the baddie, as Trent says, there's good and bad in all of us. We just have to know how to be good most of the time. And the baddie is, uh, well, the villain of the piece, I guess you could say, is Titus Bros. And uh, you'll find out about Titus Bros when you come to see the play or when you read the book and he's, he's, he's villainous. But, um, but he's there for a reason. I think he's there. Villains have a reason. Villains, that's why they're all part of great literature. They're all part of all our learning. They're all part of our growing. Villains teach us how to be good. They're the best characters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I am fiendish, I am fell, <laughs> I'm a dog and brackish well. Did Lama Sue ever meet Darth Vader? Oh, no. no. Wouldn't that have been good? Yes, that'd be great. Yeah, 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 Lama Sue. Um, the Prime Minister Kamino. By Boy Swallows Universe playing uh, at the Queensland Performing Arts Centre through September. Yes, it opens uh, that first week of September and plays through till the end of September. Back in your old stomping ground. Yes, the old alma mater, I guess you could say. So good to have you back where you belong. Yeah, the Queensland Theatre Company or the Queensland Theatre. Yeah, Queensland. Um, uh, I may I share a little story with you. I, you know, life's great and it should be celebrated. All of that doesn't matter. You know, age is a number. All that stuff. I sat in that room in that first reading with beautiful Trent Dalton, just wide-eyed, going, wow, this is amazing. My book is going to be on the stage. Um, and beautiful Sam Strong. And I, st- I saw them and then all these other young people, I'd, young people, all these other younger actors. I'd never, I didn't know anyone. Uh, I looked around and smiled at everyone and then looked behind me and the whole, the, the, all the administration staff were there of QT uh, to um, hear this read, this first read of this, this, you know, proposed production, which we were supposed to do last year. And of course it was cancelled because of COVID and all of that, COVID-19 and the pandemic and they're doing it this year. Fingers crossed, hopefully it'll happen, still happen. And I looked around the room and I thought, no, I don't recognise anyone. It's all changed, you know, it's all different these days. And bobbed and, you know, smiled and nodded at everyone and then came back to my spot and looked at the script and thought to myself, I am the oldest person in the room. (laughs) I was. I was the oldest person in the room. And I thought, wow. When did that happen? When did that happen? (laughs) Oh, I see. You've come to, you know, that part of your career, your dotage. And um, I hope my voice is improved before then. Um, I should do some voice exercises. That's the other thing. See, I haven't used my voice. Yeah. I haven't used my voice on the stage yeah. since 2017. Yeah. And that requires, you know, that requires, so hopefully rehearsal will, will yeah. correct that. Be- becoming show fit again. Show fit. Yeah. Uh, physically, I'm fit and ready, uh, but vocally and and lung capacity, breathing-wise and all that stuff, probably not. Well, Anthony Phelan, Tone, my mate. Yeah, thank this you. This has been delightful. Thank you very much. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I hope it's 
been interesting enough. <laughs> but, uh, and you're coming to see the show. I am, I can't wait. Isn't that fantastic? Good yeah. on you. Yeah. That's great. Um, a couple of other Sydney people are going to come up and see it too. Isn't that great? Well, it's a great novel and um, you're a good well, mate. So. Well, I, th- I think, um, thank you. Yeah. Same, same. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think um, it's booking really well because of that reason, because so many people know the book, and it's a great book. All Our Shimmering Skies, his second book, I wasn't. I really liked that as well, but I didn't think it was as good. But, um, uh, but if this translates to the stage, it'll be a great hit. And I'll, and I'll finish with saying that, as, they, as we say in the business, it will probably uh, it has legs. Boy Swallows Universe is adapted from the smash hit novel inspired by Brisbane author Trent Dalton's own childhood. It's an exhilarating story of magic and madness, of beauty and brutality, of joy and heartbreak, and the power of love to triumph over the darkest of circumstances. The novel is adapted for the stage by Tim McGarry, and the production is directed by Sam Strong. The production plays the Playhouse at QPAC in Brisbane through September, and it features my guest today, Anthony Phelan. Thanks for joining us in this episode. You can check out all of the episodes featured in the podcast thus far by visiting our website, www.stagespodcast.com.au. Do check it out. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, keep warm, and I'll catch you next time.